Well, good morning, church. I hope you're excited to be here this morning. Uh, I'm always excited to gather with you guys and worship uh, the Lord through song and, and hearing uh, a passage of Scripture preached is always my favorite time of the week. And so uh, we're glad you're here. If this is your first time, we want you to know you've joined on an incredible Sunday. Uh, we're actually kicking off a new series. Uh, this series is entitled Grown Up Faith. Um, and so for the next four weeks, what we'll be doing is looking at what the Bible has to say about growth and maturity. Uh, you know, our church exists to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we do uh, is, is that's our mission. And so we want you guys to know what it looks like to grow. And, and we all have different views of what we think it looks like to grow in our faith. And so we want to align that with God's word and uh, see what God's Word has to say about that. You know, as I was praying about this week and uh, just praying about this for the past few months and really feeling like this is where our church needs to go, you know, as we continue to grow and as we continue to reach more people, uh, we're going to have to have people that are willing to step up uh, as leaders, you know, and, and part of that is, is your part is growing, right, growing in your faith and maturing and becoming a person that can lead others. And so, uh, and I also know that when you hear that statement, a lot of people in this room right now immediately think, well, that's not me. And we start looking to our left and to our right. But what I want you to know is that that is you, and God wants you to, to grow in your relationship with God, and he wants you to grow up in your faith, and that's what this series is going to be all about. And so here's what I'd say. You can hear this series in the next four weeks uh, in, in one of two ways. And so uh, I, would, I would urge you to, to hear it the second way. But we can hear it uh, through condemnation and through that lens, or we can also hear it through the lens of conviction or challenge, right? And, and so, uh, but here's what we know. Uh, God never speaks anything to us to condemn us, right? As a Christian, our condemnation was put on Christ on the cross. And so now everything God does for us uh, is conviction out of love. And so I want to read a quote from one of my favorite authors, Paul David Tripp, and here's how he says it more eloquent than I can. So he says, God never reveals our hearts to discourage us. God never reveals our hearts to discourage us. Convicting us of sin is one of the most profound ways that God demonstrates his love for us. Why? Because he is committed to completing the work that he has started in you as a Christian. And I believe that with all my heart, and I believe this series can be a big series for you, a big series for us as we continue to grow. And so I pray that God would convict our hearts. So let's pray. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. Father, we love you. And uh, God, we, we're so thankful to be able to have a relationship with you. God, what an honor and privilege it is that the God of the universe we can know, and God, that's what we come to do this morning. So God, I pray as we look into your word, and God, we begin to consider ways that we can grow in our faith. Uh, Father, I pray you'd give us the courage to step, and uh, God, you would convict our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. So Philippians chapter 3, we'll kind of look at 1 through 15, but I want to start at 15 and then bounce all the way back, actually 15 and 16, and, and bounce back to verse 1, but I want you to hear Paul's thoughts on maturity. What does it mean to grow? And I believe Paul can clarify this uh, really well for us. So verse 15 says this. He says, All of us then who are mature should take such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. 
Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. So Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such view of things. A couple things I want you to know about this word mature. In the Greek, uh, every time you see it in the Bible, it's always linked with our minds. It's always linked with thinking. So here's what I want you to know. Maturity begins in our mind. And so as we begin to think mature, we begin to grow and we begin to uh, increase and renew our minds through God's word. Uh, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 14, 20. He says, brothers, do not be like children in your thinking. He says, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature, right? Paul also goes on in Corinthians to say, when I was a boy, I thought like a baby. But when I became a man, I thought like a man, right? And so he's showing us that there's different stages in the Christian life as we begin to grow, God wants to renew our minds so that we begin to think like he thinks, to begin to be like him, to begin to live as he lived. And that is the goal of the Christian life. But I also want you to see in verse 16, he also says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is the glory of the gospel. This is what makes uh, Christianity uh, so powerful and the gospel so powerful is that we're not growing into something that God hasn't already given us in the gospel. So here's the thing for some of us to understand as a Christian, we don't fight for victory. We don't fight, we don't walk, we don't grow to earn anything. God's already given us that in the gospel. He's already given us that through Christ and what Christ has finished for us. It's called justification. The moment we repent and put our faith in Christ, what happens is immediately all the righteousness of Christ is clothed on us so that now when God sees us, he doesn't see us as not good enough. He doesn't see us as unholy and deserving punishment. He doesn't see us as unclean or can't come into the access of God. He sees us now as Christ, perfect, holy, blameless, free to access the throne of God and be in a relationship with God because of Christ. That is a gift of salvation. But the problem is, is salvation doesn't stop there. I always say it this way, salvation is a beginning. It's the beginning of a race. So now for the rest of your life, what God wants to do is through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in you, is he wants to bring that work to completion and he wants to grow you into what he's already given you in the gospel, which is holiness and blamelessness. And so now he wants us as a Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit to actively grow to become like Jesus in how we think and who we are and in how we live our lives. And so that's what this series and that's what maturity in the Bible is all about. So he says this statement in verse 15. He says, all of us then who are mature, teleoi is the Greek word for it, should take such view of things. He's saying, so if we are mature, the way God wants us to think as we grow in a relationship with God, we should grow in this way is what Paul's saying. So your question should be, Paul, what are you talking about? What way? And that's what I think he does in verses 1 through 15. And so let's bounce back to verse 1 and see what is this view of things that Paul is referring to that he calls the mature view of things. Verse 1, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are, who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So you see Paul like, man, he is kind of wound up. What's he wound up about? Well, here's what he's wound up about. Philippians is a very near and dear church to Paul's heart. He writes this letter back to them. Philippians was a place where it's the only letter that Paul writes where he doesn't uh, necessarily rebuke the church that he's writing to. You know, any other uh, letter he writes, he writes to address certain things. But here, what was going on in Philippians were some false teachers had slipped in uh, called Judaizers, right? These people were of the Jewish faith, but they kind of considered themselves Christians, but they didn't embrace the gospel, the fact that Christ was the way to righteousness and that Christ gives us righteousness. They actually were trying to earn their righteousness, and so they would have been very religious in the way that they thought. They would have looked down on you uh, if you didn't have the same accolades that they had, if you didn't dress the way that they dressed, etc. That's what these Judaizers were known for. Well, Paul calls them dogs, He says, dogs, evildoers. He says, you think you're just doing this on your own, but you're actually being used by the enemy to distract the church from the gospel. And he says, listen, here's what his word for them is. He says, you think you have reasons to be confident in your maturity, but I have more. This is Paul's play. Verse. uh, He continues in verse 4. He says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, then I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. So if you read that, you're like, man, Paul's kind of cocky. What is he doing? No, what he's doing is he's saying, hey, guys, I've been where you're at. I know what you're trying to do, and it's not leading you to where you want to go. So you're leading people astray by putting this religious responsibility because essentially what these Judaizers were doing is their confidence was in themselves. Everything was about them and their performance. It was about their rituals. It was about their ethnicity, what color they were. It was about who they came from, a Jew of the Jews. It was uh, their heritage or their rank or their traditions or their ability to keep the religious law. And what it had done is it had puffed them up so that they looked down on other people. And, and these Philippians have been brought to the gospel. They've been set free by Christ's sacrifice and what he's done, set free by the power of the Holy Spirit to grow not for victory but from victory. And these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, these, these, these evil ones have come in and led them back into religion. And Paul doesn't like it. And he says, listen, I know where you come from. I was, I was a part of you, but God saved me. And you guys need to quit doing what you're doing is essentially what he said. Religious maturity becomes about you. That's what it's characterized by. If, you've, if you consider yourself mature in, a, in, the, in the area of religion or, or, uh, or the area of rule followings, what happens is you begin to set yourself apart and look down on other people because they don't follow the rules as much as you do. But biblical maturity is different. Biblical maturity is about Christ, and it produces a humility. And we're about to see what Paul says. Verse 7, he says, but who, whatever. He says, but whatever were gains to me, all of these accolades that you guys are interested in, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage. The, the King James Version says dung, which is a better translation. It says, I consider them dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. So somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Listen, this is a powerful passage. There is no other passage in the Bible that Paul lays out his longing to know Christ quite like he does right here. I mean, it is his heart revealed to us. And I believe we can learn from it. Paul says Christian maturity is a heart to, that wants to know Christ. He says, listen, I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ, my identity to be all about Christ. I want to experience Christ. Listen, even this is even more powerful. He says, I want to experience Christ. I want to experience his power through the Holy Spirit. I want to, ex- I want to participate in his sufferings, the sufferings he went through when he was on earth. I want to experience those same sufferings because those sufferings can can help me know Christ better. You know, for many of us in this room, as we think about suffering, we see suffering as a bad thing. But Paul in the Bible actually carved it in a different light. It actually says that suffering produces perseverance in our life. As we face things in this world, in this life that we can't control, God uses them to deepen our faith to relate more with us with Christ so that we can understand just who he is and just what he's about. He says, I want to become like Christ. He said, just the way he became in his death, that servantness all the way to the death, that's what I want to do. And then eventually he says, I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. What is he talking about? Is Paul saying he wants to resurrect from the dead the same way Christ does? Yeah, he's talking about glorification. You know, as a Christian, in the end, you and I both, will resurrect from the dead. That's the hope of Christ. Death has lost its sting. Our spirit will be present with God forever, but our bodies will be laid to rest when we die. And then Christ will come back. And, and when he comes back, he'll resurrect our bodies. And, and Paul's saying, listen, I'm running the race, seeing that finish line. That glorification is sure, and I'm coming, and I can't wait to know Christ in that way. Verse 12 Paul continues, he says, not that I've already obtained all of this. Listen, this is my heart. This is my desire. I want to know Christ. I want to experience Christ. I want to be like Christ. But I've not obtained it. Or have I already arrived at my goal? He says, but I press on. And I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has took hold of me. Why did Christ Jesus take hold of Paul? He took hold of Paul to make him like himself. God saves us to then work in us and through us to accomplish his kingdom. And the way he does that is by sanctifying us, by growing us to be more and more like him. You no longer have to ask, what is God's will for your life? Paul says in Thessalonians, Paul's God's will for your life is your sanctification, your holiness, that you would be like Christ in how you think and who you are and how you live your life as a Christian. You no longer have to ask that question. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, Paul says, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing that I do, I want you to underline that, but one thing I do, Paul was a one thing man, and this is the one thing he cared about, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, that, that's imagery. The, the, the words, that the, the use of the language that he's using right there is imagery of a sprinter running to the, to the finish line. Not a jogger, not somebody who runs uh, marathons, but it's a sprinter who's running towards the goal, who's running towards the finish line. And Paul says, that's how I see my Christian life. I don't care what happened in the past. Good and bad, I don't care about it. I embrace today sprinting as hard as I can to know Christ more. Every day is a day that we can know Christ more and walk with him more deeply. That was Paul's mindset, and I believe that's the mindset he wants for us. Verse 15, he says, All of us then who are mature, teleoi, should take such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. So what I want to do through this passage this morning is I really want to point out three things that I think we can learn about spiritual maturity and what Paul and the Bible have to say about it. Number one is this. Christian maturity humbly acknowledges a need for growth. Number one, Christian maturity humbly acknowledges a need for growth. You know, this is what the gospel does. The gospel produces humility in us. The gospel teaches us and makes us come to grips and admit the fact that we can do nothing apart from God. We can't save ourselves. We can't grow in our relationship with Christ. We can't change ourselves. We, can, we are helpless when it comes to the things of God. And what happens is for some of us, that's very challenging. Specifically for the men in the room, we don't like to be told that we can't do anything. Right? You, you lay a toy in front of me to put together for my son. Whether I have directions or not, guess what? I'll get this thing together. Because part of my manhood is that I can do these things and accomplish this on my own, and I don't need help. I tell my wife all the time, go in there. I'll take care of this. I got it. Because a part of me is I feel like I don't need help. I don't want help. It's a pride thing, and it's not a good thing. And Paul knows that, and God knows that, and the gospel punches that in the face and says, no, you need help. You humble yourself. You need to see that sin is something that you can't conquer on your own. But we have a loving God con that conquered it for us and now wants to work in and through us to help us become who he's called us to be. You know, and this destroys m the most common view of maturity. I don't know if you grew up the same way I did, but I thought of maturity as perfection, right? So I, I saw a preacher on the stage and he would preach and, I mean, heaven forbid him talk about any kind of struggles in his life nor if anybody in the church had any kind of sin or struggles, nor they talk about it. You come to church, you dress up, you put your best foot forward, don't let anybody know that you have any sin in your life, fake it till you make it, you're good. And what happens is we see from the outside in thinking, oh, this spiritual maturity is perfection and I can't add up. And the church does nothing to help you mature because the church actually teaches you to put a facade up. And it kills the maturity that God wants to create in your life and in my life and in the life of the church. Paul says, no, mature people actually humbly acknowledge that they haven't arrived. We should all acknowledge that we haven't 
arrived. This attitude will change everything. It fights the pride that so heavily has a hold on our heart and it creates humility. It changes our view of other people. We no longer look down on other people because they struggle with different things than we struggle with. Because just like they haven't arrived, we haven't arrived. You know, for so long, the church has been a place that shoots their wounded. You can't come to a church and admit that you have issues. The very place God intended to help people with issues, Jesus came not to save the righteous, but they came to save the sick, the people who need a doctor, right? The church is designed to be a hospital for the sick, right? The very place that God said, hey, this is where you come. This is where you learn about life. This is where you learn about how to handle sin and how to deal with your issues. We've kicked it out of the church. And if anybody comes forward with any kind of issues, hey, I'm more concerned with the reputation of the church. You're flawing that reputation. You get out and we'll take care of our own. That's backwards to what God designed the church to be. Maturity is not about perfection. It's about growing to be more like Christ. It's about humbly acknowledging that we're all in process. This is not just what Paul taught. This is how Paul lived his life. Paul knew himself that God was not done with him. He embraced this mindset of, I'm not there yet. Listen, this is a guy that has accomplished more than any person in this room, including myself, combined together for the kingdom of God. I mean, this guy is a hero of the faith. But he was still hungry to grow. What about you? Are you hungry to grow? From my experience in the church, the issue is that people, it's not that people don't know how to grow. It's that the hunger to grow is not there. And so we as a church, we have to ask God for a hunger. God, would you create a hunger in us to grow? Is your life characterized by a humble understanding that you haven't arrived? The second thing I think Paul wants to teach us about Christian maturity is that Christian maturity passionately pursues a greater knowledge of Christ. Paul says, I want to know Christ I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ. I want to experience Christ. I want to suffer like Christ did. I want to experience his power, the same power that resurrected him from the dead. I want to experience that. I want to become like Christ. I want to move towards the goal of glorification. You know, many Christians relate a lot with the first point. They're very quick to say, hey, I'm not perfect. When it comes to not being perfect, I'll check that box. But you know, Paul never intended for that truth to hinder or become an excuse for complacency. He never intended for that. Many Christians use the point that they're not perfect as an excuse to be complacent. Paul didn't do that. The humble acknowledgement that one hasn't arrived must not form the excuse for a complacent heart. Biblical maturity is characterized by a passion and a discernible resolve to increase in the knowledge of Christ. Listen, before I got saved, I, I didn't like to read. I actually cheated my way through the accelerated reader class growing up. I'd go to the library and I'd say, what's the biggest book y'all have? 
and I'd read the cliff notes online, right? I'm teaching some of you guys. If you're in high school, don't do this. This is wrong. But I'd read it. Seemed like I took a test on great expectations every, every year, right? And so I got good at it. And so then what I'd do is I'd go in, and I, 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 but I wouldn't read. I'd read the cliff notes, take the thing, and I'd just get by. I didn't like to read. I hated to read. But then I met Christ, and guess what happened? I like to read because I like to know Christ. If you hunger to know Christ, you must hunger to read Scripture because Scripture is the revelation of Christ. The only way to know him is through his word. You know, I pointed out the imagery that Paul uses here. It's a runner sprinting to the finish line. It's passionately sprinting towards the ultimate prize. Paul uses this language in other places, and even the author of Hebrews uses it. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul says this. He says, do you not know that, all, that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that as, as you get to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who's running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer who's beating the air. No. I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, therefore, since we have, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything off that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and do what? Let us run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. This is not a passive attitude towards growth. You know, Christian growth and maturity is not something that you just sit back and are passive in. Second Peter 1, Peter would actually say, no, 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 no. You've been given the power of life and godliness inside of you. The Holy Spirit brings and gives you everything you need for life and godliness. So now God has given us that, and it's almost as if he says, hey, you got everything you need in the Holy Spirit. You got the finish line. The finish line is to become like Christ and how you think and who you are and how you live your life. Now run. You know, so many things in our life, we run aimlessly because we can't see the finish line. But the Christian faith is not one of those things. What a blessing to know that we have everything we need and what a blessing to know the finish line so that we can run in a straight line to the finish line that God's given us. If we want to grow in maturity, we need passion, we need discipline, and we need to put effort in because that's what Paul did and that's what the Bible teaches. Where does the passion come from? The passion comes from the gospel. The motivation, the love, the, the fact that yet while I was a sinner, Christ came and died. The motivation is there. The passion comes from the gospel. The passion comes from knowing I don't have to get up every day now and not have a purpose in this life. God, thank you. God, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to help me get to where you want me to go. And then the other is discipline and effort. You know, discipline a lot of times in the church is confused with legalism. 
You know, we, we, you talk anything about discipline and people say, well, that's kind of legalistic, Pastor. But here's the thing I tell you, discipline is something that we see throughout Scripture. You know, uh, in, the, in the weight room at Badia High School where I serve as the chaplain, there's a sign, Coach Homskis had the sign up, and it says, motivation is fleeting, but discipline is a constant. So think about that. I don't even know who said it, and it may be a heretic, but motivation is fleeting, but discipline is a constant. That's a very true statement. It's actually a very biblical statement because here's the thing. What do you do when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like pursuing God? Do you discipline yourself because you know the finish line, you know where God wants you to be, or do you follow your heart? Do you follow your feelings? Because the main difference between a growing, mature believer and someone who's not growing is whether they're led by where they know God wants them to go and by the Holy Spirit or whether they're led by their feelings. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Listen, we have a flesh that is very strong. It's not stronger than the Spirit, but it's strong. And if you begin to live and follow your feelings, it's going to lead you somewhere you don't want to go. Passion, discipline, effort, they're all required to grow in maturity. So what does this pursuit look like for us? I think Paul uses two statements in here that I think are very, very important. And I think you need to underline them in verse 13 and 14. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what's ahead. So forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead. What do you mean, Paul? What are you trying? What are you trying to forget? Well, here's the thing I'll tell you. Paul didn't allow his past to prevent where God wanted to take him in the future. Now, this is on, on two sides. So our past can be good and our past can be bad. And on both sides, we can be prevented from getting to where God wants us to be. But here's the truth. We cannot be focused on our past and be moving forward in our relationship with God. Now, it's not that we can't look back at our salvation and what God's done for us and all the faithfulness that he's been. I think that's great, and we can look back at that. But here's the thing. It can't hinder us from embracing the daily process of growing and becoming more like Christ today. And what Paul says and what he picks out in these Judaizers, he said, listen, y'all are more worried about your accolades what you look like, what you've accomplished in the past, who you're hanging out with, what family you came from, what country club you belong to. Y'all are worried about that, and that is preventing you from getting to where God wants you to be. And so think about it. It's this picture. Many of you have probably seen the video on Facebook where the Olympic runner is running, and he's so fired up he's about to win, and he kind of looks at the crowd, and he's you know, making sure everybody sees that he's about to win. And this guy just sneaks right on in the inside. And on the, on the, at the finish line, guess what happens? He loses the race because he's focused on his surroundings instead of focused on the finish line. And Christ wants us to be focused on the finish line. For some of us, we can't move forward with Christ because we're satisfied with where we are now. We're focused on our past accolades. We're focused on what God's done for us or through us in the past when God still has more for us to go. We see this with Paul. Even in 2 Timothy, he's about to, the man's about to die. 
And he says, hey, Timothy, when you come and see me, make sure you bring those books. There's a couple books that I wanted to read so that I could grow in my relationship with God. Will you bring those to me? I mean, this dude's on his deathbed, and he's still hungry to grow and to know more about God. For some of us, we can't move forward because we're hindered by our past sin. Satan's just using it to disqualify you, to say, hey, man, God would never grow you. He would never use you. He would never move you forward and use you to do anything for his kingdom if he knows your past. And it's a lie. We already know the scripture tells us when God forgives us, our sins are washed as far as the east as the west. It's gone. God no longer sees us. He's imputed us righteousness. He's given us righteousness so that now God's view of us is not our sin. His view of us is Christ and what Christ has done. For some of us, we need to take our eyes off the past, good or bad, and we need to press on towards what God has for us in the future. The second part is straining towards what's ahead. What does that look like? What is the prize? What is he pressing toward in the prize? I'll say it again. It's a greater knowledge of Christ. It's knowing Christ. I'll say it over and over again. Paul says, listen, I want to know Christ. I want to be found in Christ. I want to, I want to gain Christ. I want to experience Christ, that, his power, his sufferings. I want to become like Christ. He's referring to Philippians 2 where Christ came and he, be, he became a man and, and, and became a servant to the point where he became obedient all the way to death, he's saying, listen, everything that Christ was, I want to become because I know that's where my joy is going to be found. That was Paul. That's what he was pressing forward towards. Paul was a one-thing man. I told you a while ago to, to, to underline, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. So my question for you this morning is this growing in Christ, maturing in Christ, becoming who God's called you to be, is that the one thing for you? Is that the one most important thing in your life right now? For some of us, that should be a very convicting statement. But listen, it's not meant for condemnation, for me or for you. It's meant to convict you. Listen, if we want to become who God has called us to become, Growing in our relationship with him has to be our one thing. That's what Paul established. What one change could you make today in order to pursue the one thing that matters most? What one thing could you change today to pursue the one thing that matters most? I want to read a quote. It's kind of lengthy, but I think it's worth it from, from a guy, an article I read this week, and I want you to hear it. It says, don't underestimate the power of making one change. David Powelson, who's a, who's a counselor, notes that change in one area affects every area of our lives. He says we don't typically think this way. We tend to think of, a, of spiritual growth in boxes, that is. After we work on one area, then we can move to the next area. But when you change one area of your life by God's grace, it moves through the totality of your life. I would add to this idea that this one change not only affects your life, but it also will affect the other's in your life as well. Just one change in your life will affect you, your friends, your church, your neighborhood, your family, your kids. If you want to see a discernible difference in your life, then think about how you are spending your time and how you are spending your money. These issues will reveal our one thing. With regard to time, are you making the most of your days? 
Do you have a plan? Are you spending an inordinate amount of time on mindless activities or selfish pursuits? Have you taken a walk in your neighborhood recently in order to meet people so that you can share your faith with them? Have you spent some, have you spent some unhurried and unhindered time in prayer with God lately? Are you working an excessive amount of hours with regard to money? How are you stewarding God's resources? Are you spending any money on the mission of God? Is the sin of greed and materialism weakening your life? In addition to time and money, let me also encourage you to begin a spiritual practice of growing in knowledge. This passage is about knowing Christ, and you can't grow in knowledge without thinking. Perhaps you will use your commute to work as an opportunity to listen to the Bible or to a good sermon. Perhaps you will begin a group that memorizes scripture together. Or you might even combine your athletic workout with an opportunity to listen to a good book or a sermon about God and theology. Perhaps you want to get a new book that will help you grow in Christ. It has always struck me that at the end of Paul's life, we find him requesting books. He had soared to places that, that we haven't even seen, but he still wants books. Why? Because he was not satisfied with his knowledge of Christ. He wanted more. Do you? Let's grow in becoming one thing people. Number three, Christian maturity doesn't make excuses. Christian maturity doesn't make excuses. I want you to think about it this way as we close up on this point. Who is the author of Philippians? Paul, right? Paul wrote Philippians from jail, right? So this is a joyful man sitting in a jail cell, which is a whole other sermon in itself. So not only that, but also this is a man who had been through everything you could possibly encounter outside of everything Christ encountered for his faith. He'd been beaten. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been bit by a snake. He'd been beaten to death several times with lashes. Uh, you know, he, he had been through all kinds of stuff for sharing the gospel. He'd also been through all kinds of victories. He'd seen men healed. He'd seen salvations. He'd seen tons of things, plant, churches planted for the kingdom. He's been through good and bad everything. He was also at this point, he had been a Christian for most people would say 25 to 30 years. So he had been through everything. And when you think about him writing this passage, Paul literally leaves us with, with no excuse to not grow. I mean, because for some of us, our excuse would be, well, Billy, I had that fire when I first got saved, but it kind of went out. You're talking to a man who had the fire for 25 to 30 years. For some of us, you'd say, man, Billy, you just don't understand the circumstances I'm in right now are just tough. I, I can't see the way out. I don't know what's going on. I'm really thinking about turning away from God. And Paul would say, hey, that's the worst thing you could do. Listen, I've been through that. And listen, God will use it for his good and for, for, for your good and for his glory. He'll use it, I promise. Paul literally left us with no room for excuses. So my question for you would be, what is your excuse for not growing and maturing in your faith? Here's a couple of mine, and let's see if, if, if they can hit, because I believe one of these four will probably relate with each of us. The first one is, is it laziness? Is it the lack of intentionality that's keeping you from growing and maturing in your faith? Is it just not caring about your relationship with God? Listen, we make time for what we care about. 
Listen, if growing in our relationship with Christ is our one thing, it will be on our schedule and we will make time for it. Listen, for some of us, we try to give God the leftovers of our life. He didn't ask for the leftovers. The whole principle of tithing is we give our first to God, not just our money, but our life, our time, our energy. God wants our first because he knows if he has our first, everything else will work out the way it's supposed to. Is it laziness? Is it lack of intentionality? For some of us, is it distraction? Has something else become your one thing? Listen, for some, some of the moms in the room right now, your kids are your biggest distraction. So husbands, hear this. Take the kids so your wife can spend time with God. If you care and love her and you know the one thing in her life is to spend time with God, make some room for her to spend time with Jesus. For some of us, it's just being distracted with, with, with texting or social media. I mean, you can go to a restaurant and you can see our phones have us. They've changed the world. If you spent every minute that you spend texting, reading scripture, every word that you texted, you read a word of scripture. For every word that you texted, if you read a word of scripture, how much more would you know God? Listen, we have the time. We're just distracted. And the enemy uses it. And God wants you to be focused as a runner is focused on the finish line. Is it comparison? For some of us, we look around, you know, and it makes us feel better about ourselves to look at other people that may not be as far along as us or they're struggling or, or we start looking at kind of the good things of our life. But listen, Paul never looked to the side. He looked up. Christ, I want you. I don't care what the other people are doing. I want to know you. I want to be found in you. I want to experience you. I want to be, uh, I want to know everything about you. That was Christ. That's our heart. Are you looking up or are you looking around? And then the last one is this, and I empathize with this one. Is it a lack of discipleship? Have you never been at a church that taught you to grow? Have you never been around someone who taught you what it looks like to grow in your relationship with God? I got good news for you. Our church exists to help you grow in your relationship with God. I put some goals before you last week. And what I said is, hey, if you, if you embrace these goals for 2020, this year, with the right heart, I believe you will grow and mature in your faith. And if you remember them, you know, we posted, they should be on our, uh, on our website and they should be everywhere. But it was to participate in the 412 reading plan. You can find that on our app. You can pick it up at the Next Steps table. It's just a plan of reading scripture on a daily basis. Prioritizing a connect group. Listen, being in a community helps you grow in your relationship with God. It, it, it's Growing is a lot taught, but most of it is caught. You gotta see what other people are doing and see how they're growing and they can help you. Listen, serving, to, to be a connector, to, to begin serving, begin utilizing the gifts that God's given you. That's a big deal. God, Christ himself was a servant. If we want to grow and become like him, we have to begin to embrace serving. Generosity. God was the most generous person ever walked the face of the earth. If we want to grow and become like him, we got to begin thinking like a generous person. And then lastly, I told you to make a disciple. Christ left us with a mission. He came to the earth for a mission. God wants you to make a disciple. Just find one person. Invest your life. What God's teaching you, teach them. And I promise this year will be a year of growth. But for some of us, you know, it's none of those issues. 
For some of us, we don't have a relationship with God. We, we don't even have a desire to grow. Listen, I can teach you how to grow. And by all means, I would love to teach you how to grow. But the one thing I can't do is give you a desire to grow. I can't create a hunger in you, but Christ can. Listen, when we surrender our life to Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's the hunger, that's the desire, that's everything we need for life and godliness. And for some of us in this room this morning, that's our need. We've never surrendered our life to Christ. We've never walked in a relationship with him. Right where you are, I want you to bow your head. If that's anybody in this room and you'd say, Billy, that's me, I've never had a relationship with Christ, but this morning, that's what I want, that's my desire. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? I wanna pray for you. Is that anybody in here? You'd say, Billy, that's me. I want that. I wanna grow. Like I want a relationship with God. I need help and I know it and I'm willing to admit it. Is that anybody in this room? You'd say, Billy, that's me. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. So, Father, here's my prayer. God, would you grow each of us in this room? God, would this message not just go in one ear and out the other, but God, would we embrace it? God, would you show us next steps in our life? God, would you make our one thing pause one thing? God, would we care more about knowing you and walking with you than we do about anything else in this world? And God, would we take some next steps and begin to prioritize that in our life? God, create in us the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.